Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, and welcome to the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. Because there's no football on at the moment, we are talking about things, things we like, things we've enjoyed, and perhaps not enjoyed during the lockdown. This is to view from, I don't even know the name of it, but it doesn't matter. My name is Craig Telfer, and I am joined by three sturdy men. The first is also called Craig, it's Craig Fowler. Hello. The second is also called Craig, it's Craig Cairns. Yeah, this happens a lot. And the third is the fourth is also called Craig. It's Sean McGuigan. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, you you can't you can't hear him, but he is he's uh, he's sipping from a uh, from from a cup there. But as we said, these these are our pop culture podcasts where we look at uh, the things that have been bewitching and enriching us over the last few weeks. Lockdown's been in the go for almost fifteen weeks now. I think we're just into fifteen. Uh, yeah, I think we've just got into week 15 now, are we? We're in week 15, I believe, yeah. Jeez, oh, well, fair play. Right we went into lockdown, so it might be week 16, who knows? Oh, my goodness, it's like this is all just, just time sort of blends in one. You feel like a, a, a prisoner uh, who you're kind of that way into your sentence. You feel like I should have been marking down the days with a like a chisel on the wall. Except anyway. we can watch loads of box sets and stuff, unlike, unlike prisoners. Well, I don't know. I mean, if, if you have prisons to be believed, there's a bit of a holly camp in there. Um, but anyway, uh, let's not talk about the penal justice system anyway, uh, because we've got more pressing things to talk about. We'll talk about things we've enjoyed. We'll start with yourself, uh, Craig Fowler. I see you're sporting a natty new haircut there. So tell me, t- give me some news. Give, give me a good news story, Craig. You, give me a good news story from the lockdown. Come on, cheer us all up. <laughs> Well, it's only been week uh, 15 of lockdown, but I say that bad movies are essential 
to enjoying movies as a whole. Are you talking about the movie review we're going to be discussing? Uh, no, we could. Uh, that, that, that is one of the, the kind of bad movies I've seen. But at least, uh, as we can maybe get on, at least I had some sort of, uh, uh, I mean, one or two redeeming features out of our kind of... Uh, I can't wait to hear them. I really... Very much a kind of uh, plot that just smashes your face with a frying pan over and over again. Uh, the frying pan has racism is bad written on it. Um, oh, but no, racism is bad. Racism is bad, but it's complicated. Yes, it's also that as well. But I know, I know for Fowler, you, you're a bit of a movie buff. I saw, well, 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 no, no, no. You watch movies. I'll change that there. You watch, you, you have seen movies in the past and you, you tweet about them as well. You will watch a movie that then tweet about it. So, uh, t- tell us, what are these these bad movies that you've come into contact the with? The bad movie that I really had in mind was uh, the 19, oh God, 1995 uh, film Anaconda uh, <laughs> that I watched the other day on Netflix. And um, I've watched, I've watched um, really a lot of movies recently. Um, I've kind of uh, doing what you've managed to do, Telfer, and managed to do some of my work while watching movies. And uh, yeah, the numbers are really piling up. But it was just kind of, Mostly look at uh, stuff that I, I would enjoy and that were kind of respected movies. But I find that when you do that too often, you, it kind of, movies that are really good can kind of lose their luster a little bit if you only kind of seek out the good ones. Because you kind of need a bad movie to really respect a good movie. Because you, you need to be mm. reminded how easily it could all go wrong and how... Uh, <laughs> and, uh, thankfully, a, a film about a 30-foot snake that looked uh, part terrible... Um, animatronic part terrible cartoon uh, really does kind of drive home the fact that when they make films like Jurassic Park that it is very very easy for it all to go wrong extraordinary uh, so like Anaconda it looks like Playstation 1 graphics interesting because that, that was two years after Jurassic Park Jurassic Park still looks extraordinary yes Obviously, I I, I'm going to suggest that Anaconda had a smaller budget than Jurassic Park Perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, I did, I did uh, read, though, that apparently for every, the, the CGI, for every second that they had the CGI snake on, it cost them something like $300,000. So, money well spent. <laughs> <laughs> but, Phil, you honestly think that by watching something like Anaconda, which is, which is guff, that it will help you to enjoy films more in the future? Like, yes. you think that genuinely is a thing? I think, I think having watched Anaconda, I appreciated 12 Years a Slave a bit more. <laughs> Are you not more meaning that if you're constantly seeking out the best, then maybe top tier movies will overshadow second tier movies and the yeah, like? The, the kind of the loser luster. If you only seek out the best, I think you need uh, to get to get a rainbow. You have to put up with the rain. He's absolutely right. You know, I, I would agree with that. As I, as I seem to say every time we, we, we do these podcasts, I have been watching a lot of of, of movies over the the the. the the lockdown and the last ones I had watched um, Father of the Year The Do-Over and Sandy Wexler what do they all have in common they're all Happy Madison productions they all star mm-hmm. Adam Sandler and, and David Spade uh, and his cohorts and, and it was I, I watched those I'd finished watching The Wire and those were the, those were the first three movies I watched after watching The Wire and, and so I can, I can completely understand uh, what, what, what Fowler's saying if you were see see you were used to having sex with, with like supermodels all the time. It, the fun would probably wear off. No, actually, that's a terrible analogy. <laughs> <laughs> that, would never, that would never wear off. If you're used to eat, uh, 
Maybe it's right. Aye, it's, it's, I think you're right. I think you're right. I'm, I'm explaining it terribly, and I, 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 but I, I would agree with you that um, if you if you get spoiled all the time, it don't, you don't appreciate stuff. It's like if you if you save up all your money to buy a guitar, for instance. I say guitar because it's in my field of vision. Then it, it really means something. You know that guitar's special to you. you. You've you've invested a lot into it. Whereas if you've just got loads and loads of money, and you can just buy guitars all the time. It's not as special. Yes, yeah, that, that's a better analogy than the supermodels one. Yes, that was a that was very roundabout way of, of saying that, yes, I agree with you. But are there any redeeming features to Anaconda? It's got Jennifer Lopez in it. Uh, yeah, she's uh, she's quite poor in it, to be honest. Uh, she's, oh. I think to date, the only really film I've seen her do a star turn and is out of sight. I've heard she's good in Hustlers, but I've not seen it. I've heard that's not a great film either. Um, but maybe I should seek it out then uh, to kind of uh, go with my point. Uh, but Hustlers, no, is, Hustlers is better than Anaconda. I can. Uh, I can <laughs> say I've, I've watched um, both. Hustlers is better. Have you ever seen Ice, Ice Cube's quite? Uh, Ice Cube's quite in it as kind of like a kind of comic relief kind of character. Uh, although the, the entire second half is kind of comic relief. When the action ramps up, you see more of the snake, and the the, <clears throat> the whole film is just quite ridiculous. And by the second half of the movie, I actually started to enjoy it. I think there's also a certain amount of pleasure to be taken from bad films that are at least kind of entertainingly bad rather than, you know, you could have bad films that are boring that I don't think you'd, you'd ever kind of want to watch at any time. But bad films where you can laugh at the film do have a certain amount of quality as well. And Anaconda, certainly that. I was uh, guffawing quite regularly during the second half of the film. I suppose it's like the, the Room then, for instance, that the, the, the Room is notoriously, like, yes. like, it's be one of, one of the, the worst movies of of all time but there's it's simultaneously a one star movie but also a five star movie because I think it's a medium cinema has to entertain and I think that that the room fulfills that 100% it is a, a remarkably entertaining movie <laughs> it's hilarious <laughs> well Craig Cairns just well your two cents uh, it's you were 16 weeks into lockdown but I've just finished reading the revealing oral history, Meet Me in the Bathroom. It took me ages to even start this book. Oh, just- of course, it's about the New York music scene, taking in the Strokes, the Rapture, Ryan Adams, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's done by uh, Lizzie Goodman. She takes over 200 original interviews and then kind of splices them all up, rearranges them into chapters of certain subjects and bands and things like that. And uh, yeah, it's, obviously, it's named after a Stroke song, and it kind of starts with them and, and it returns to them a fair few times, but it's not really about them. It's more about the, the New York music scene in general there. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a really thoroughly entertaining read. It, it was one which, um, with how long it was as well, I kind of, I was kind of just dipping in. Just the, the way it's paced and stuff like that, you can just kind of like dip in and out of it every now and again. But yeah, it's great. It's like uh, really kind of revealing into what the bands were like when they were on tour, how kind of some of them fell apart, why the Strokes maybe weren't quite as big as they could have been or maybe should have been. Yeah, why is that? Why is that? Because that's always quite, quite fascinating. The Strokes, I think it's, uh, certainly in my opinion, the Strokes, the first album's amazing and it still sounds amazing. The second one has some very good moments on it, but after that, it's, there's, there's not, there's not really, you can probably pick or choose what, what you listen to. I think there's a handful of decent songs, uh, Julian Casablancas apparently had, a real, uh, had real trouble writing while on tour and it would take him a while to kind of get over being on tour and things like that. Um, they also, there's quite a lot of people 
out with the Strokes as well that say that they were the band that kind of, they were the trailblazers. They opened the door for a lot of people uh, and lots of other people followed their model but more successfully afterwards. So a lot of the time, the trailblazers don't, aren't the ones that reap all the benefits. But there was a lot of personal choices as well. That It was, uh, obviously, they wrote some shit music. Albert Hammond Jr. was uh, totally out of his face at points. Um, he was a heroin addict, wasn't he? Yeah, there was a, a bit in the group chat, and it was before I uh, got to this part of the book, but some people were talking about it in our group chat, and they said that Ryan Adams didn't come across very well in it, and that's partly to do with him being blamed for kind of encouraging Albert Hammond Jr. to take more drugs. But to be honest... Ryan Adams, I mean, I know he's like since been cancelled for worse since, but um, he gives his side of the story and at least shows that there is a second side to the story. And I think Nick Valencia sticks up for him at one point as well. The person that I thought that came across worse than the book was uh, Tim Goldsworthy. It goes into how... The DFA, isn't he? Yeah, it was him, him and James Murphy set up DFA before LCD Sound System. They were kind of like an independent label. And then eventually James Murphy started doing more of his own thing. He's just kind of like a control freak and an obsessive and he would just learn how to do everything himself and do everything himself and tell everybody to do things the way he wanted. They kind of fell out uh, and Tim's gold, Tim Goldsworthy just um, ran off. He, he thought that LCD Sound System and DFA were making shit music. He, would, he told them that. Uh, he, he just ran away one day, stole an expensive bit of kit in the process and they just didn't hear from him again for ages. They served him court papers later on but um, there's bits in the book where it'll give a quote from him and then there'll just be like seven or eight people contradicting him. <laughs> he, he really didn't come across well in it. Oh, man. Uh, it's a shame. Good, good producer as well. I remember, you ever listened to The, the Rapture? That, that, what, was, what was The Rapture's first album? It's, it wasn't Echoes. The, oh, the, right. Are you talking about the EP, that? Onto the Tracks? Out, out oh, on right. the races, uh, Onto the Tracks, something like that. Yeah, so, so some of those lines. And that was, I don't think that was a, D, I'm just going to check, I don't think that was DFA. But I remember, oh, listen, I remember the, listening to Echoes. And yeah. echoes I out the races and onto the tracks. So that's it. That's um, DFA bought them. It was actually produced by Tim Goldsworthy and James Murphy. Well, then I take that back. But I was I, the point I was going to make. I didn't think that was produced by them. I was thinking that that was uh, an interesting album. But then when you saw when the, like the DFA got their claws into them, like echoes, echoes isn't. I don't think echoes. Are, are, echoes has got some really brilliant moments in it. I don't think it's a brilliant album. But the bits when it really does click, you can tell like the the, the DFA's influence uh, on it. Like uh, obviously, House of Jealous Lovers, I Need Your Love, Olio, um, Sister Savior. Those were the sort of all the DFA hallmarks on them. Well, House of Jealous Lovers was the first track that they released with DFA, and onto the tracks, James Murphy was annoyed because they bought them out of their. I can't remember who it was from, but they bought them out of their existing deal, and the Rapture gave the that label onto the tracks and DFA were annoyed by that because they thought that that would have been a perfect follow-up single to uh, House of Jealous Lovers. There you go. House of Jealous Lovers is an absolutely smashing song, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great tune. There's a great, uh, there's a great version of them doing it. I think it's like in one of those American talk shows and it's, uh, it's cool. There's just a guy playing a cowbell. That's, that's, that's his thing. He's just, he's just playing a cowbell. But that's probably actually, say, arguably the most important instrument in the whole song. Yeah, more cowbell. 
More cow- needs more cowbell. Yes, well, I, I, it's, this is about the tenth episode in a row of these I've done, so I'm quite getting find it quite difficult to talk about more and more different things. So I'm just going to go for what I said last week, and it's we're sixteen weeks in talk, and I don't think I might play a more engaging, more in-depth, more jaw-dropping video game this calendar year than The Last of Us Two, and I can appreciate I'm, I'm now 25 hours into the game so I've, I've made a fair dent I think I think I'm close to completing it that's the might, time yeah it might be a bit of a red herring probably are you you played it Cairns I am about 10 hours in or so right okay so so it's, but I don't, that's, it's one of those things I know that, that it's very important that people enjoy it at their own pace and enjoy it for themselves. So I'm very reticent to, to, to what I say about it. But my goodness, it is, it is incredible. And the game very is a very, very different game to the to the first one in terms of the, the sort of characters, the directions it takes, the, the world building, the, the conflicts in it, the, the themes that come up. There's, there's some incredible stuff like with, um, I think you probably have read it about LGBTQI plus um, characters that are in the game and they're all done with in, incredible depth. And it's just, it's all about this, the idea of, of revenge and is revenge ever worth it and is it's what makes a good person and the one your idea of a good person can be and a bad person can be complete, completely flipped on their head and it's just it's just marvelous like crash pardon kind of like crash <laughs> exactly like crash exactly like crash at least this has got like this isn't uh, as as heavy handed as uh, yeah it's crash it's just it's extraordinary it's an extraordinary game because uh, I think I read they were going to turn The Last of Us into a TV series or a film I take it that could be done quite successfully I think so not so much a movie um, because I think that to, to go as in depth or maybe it could actually could make a quite a nice sort of breezy two hour movie but if you wanted to turn it into a series I think it's the sort of thing that would lend itself well to a series particularly in The Last of Us Part 2 I said the excuse me, the level of world building that's in it, that you can really imagine using that as the establishing point, the, the characters like Joel and Ellie, using those as the turning points and then taking it off into its own uh, directions because there's so much there. And there's little bits that are hinted at that, that are never really uh, properly explained in the game. You think, wow, it'd be great to, you know, have, these could have even have their own spin-off games where that, that sort of stuff um, it, it kicks on. It's, it, it's brilliant. And I know, Fowler, you have, you've started playing the first one. I bought it. I've not started playing it yet. Okay, then. Uh, well, Sean, <laughs> uh, here we are. We're 16 weeks into lockdown. I have discovered my second favourite podcast uh, during the lockdown. It's one that you recommended, Telfer. You did a wee video, I think it was for your work. And you yeah. recommended you recommended three podcasts. I can't remember what the third one was, but you recommended uh, Terrace, and you recommended a podcast called Reply All. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you had mentioned uh, a specific episode, uh, and and I think you described it, and the Guardian described it as potentially the best individual podcast of all time. Uh, yeah. Which I thought, well, that's quite a bold claim. So, so let's uh, let's find out if, if that could be the case. So, the the premise of the podcast uh, in general is from from what I've listened to because I've, I've only I haven't listened to, to older ones. There's about 160 that they've recorded, I think. Uh, but the premise seems to be that they investigate uh, uh, scenarios or problems or 
uh, things that are brought to their attention. And quite often it's scenarios that are utterly unimportant, but they investigate it so thoroughly and they are such good storytellers that, that these, uh, these scenarios that are ultimately unimportant a lot of the time time suddenly become quite important to you. So, so the, the, the first one that, that I'd listened to, the, the one that you recommended, was, I think it's called The, the, the Case the case of the Disappearing Song. Yeah, the mystery uh, hit, that's it, the, the case. The mystery, mystery hit, that's hit. it. So essentially, uh, this guy has been driven home by his girlfriend, they've been to a party, and he is singing a song. And she asks him, like, what, what is that song? And he goes, well, it's quite a big song. I can't believe you've, you've not heard it before. But he can't remember who the artist is and he can't remember the name of the song, but he knows all the lyrics off by heart. But when he Googles the, the lyrics, this song doesn't seem to exist. And he investigates it for a couple of days and he gets nowhere. So he takes it to, to this Reply All podcast and they, I mean, to give you an idea, I don't want to spoil it because it is genuinely a, a, a fantastic 50 odd minutes or, or however long it lasts. But there's one point where... The guy knows the song inside and out, so he knows all the lyrics, he knows the, the musical pieces. So they actually hire, uh, uh, they bring a band together that, that they know, and they, they, they put the band together with the guy that knows the song, and they actually record the song just from his kind of memory, and they take the song, and they take it to, uh, what's, is it Rolling Stone magazine? Yeah. And they, they get everybody in the Rolling Stone magazine to, to listen to the song and say, you must know the song because you have so much experience in the, in, in the music industry. And they're like, no, no, we have never heard of this song before. And, and so you, you eventually start to think, well, maybe, maybe this guy is just misremembering the song, but then how, how can that be? So they start to, to they, they speak to somebody who's like an expert on the brain, whether somebody could just make up a song or, <laughs> or uh, perhaps fuse different songs together to come up with this new one. But the, 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 the length that they go to to try and solve this, this mystery is, is fantastic. And there is a, there is a brilliant, brilliant payoff at, at the end of that one. I remember uh, it, was, uh, it was Ian Greenhill who, for, for people who don't know, Ian Greenhill is a creative director and a view for the terrace. It was him that recommended it to me. And I remember I was driving through from, from Larbert to one of our production meetings. So this would have been back around February, March at the time. And I remember the podcast lasted the, the whole length of the journey. So I was coming to Leith. I was actually punching the steering wheel in delight and whooping and laughing and clapping because it is perhaps one of the most uplifting 50 minutes I think I've ever listened to. Have you, have, do, you, do you still listen to the podcast or did you only listen to no, that I only, one? I only listened to that one. That, that, that all, that none of them since have been as good as that, as, as you would probably expect. Uh, but as as a good listen. I mean, the, the fact that, I, th- I think a lot of podcasts uh, are uh, kind of fail or succeed based on, the, the personalities of the people that are on it, I suppose. And, the, the, you know, the guys that are on this podcast, you, you, you would imagine that you would probably quite like to be pals with them, which I always think is, is quite important when it comes to, to listening to a podcast. But they, they've continued to, to investigate quite interesting things. They, they had one uh, a couple of weeks ago where they'd heard of this uh, situation where basically white people in America were sending small cash amounts to black acquaintances. So it was almost like they were making like miniature reparations almost. So, oh. so, so they suddenly realized that so somebody had brought this to their attention. So they investigated that a wee bit and actually realized that it was, it was not widespread, but certainly it, it was becoming a, it was becoming a thing. And then they, they basically interviewed uh, one of the guys that, that had done it. And he was basically doing it because he'd, he'd, he'd been at, at university with a girl who had uh, 
campaigned on a, on a lot of these uh, blacklist things. Uh, as much as he was, as much as he agreed, and as much as he was behind her, he didn't really support her. He didn't really speak out. He just agreed with her from afar, and he felt guilty about that. So it would, like he sent her five dollars and said like, like have a cup of coffee or something. It was, it was quite a, quite a, a weird way to to apologise, I suppose. But uh, it was quite interesting to hear his his side of things and, and why he'd done it. So, so it's not it's not out every week. It, it seems reasonably sporadic, but they they almost always have a, a very interesting tale to tell. Brilliant. That's, that's, that, that sounds uh, sounds very good, Sean. That, that does sound very good. I didn't. I'd never investigated it past that that one podcast. The only one that I did listen to that was recommended was one that, that Andy Harrow recommended about the the Rabbit Hole podcast, which I thought was an absolutely extraordinary. Listen, all about uh, conspiracy theories and sort of being radicalised by the by the internet. So that's that's good. That that sounds, certainly sounds sounds uh, worth uh, worth checking out. Now we are. Um, I, oh God, I can't remember. Craig Fowler, I'm sorry, I didn't write down the next part. Um, I presume it was just something we haven't enjoyed. <laughs> no, the next it was uh, stock up, stock down, or uh, buy or sell. Basically, the foots. It's this version of the footsie index, right? So you pick something and you say like it's either usually something either overrated or underrated. Right, okay. I can I go well, all the notes you've got there, Telford, are fine. You just need to find a way of kind of getting in on that hook, okay? Uh, you, you can go last. If I'll go last, I'll go first, right? I'm gonna go I'm gonna go <laughs> I am gonna I'm gonna say, right, I, I think I and I know this because there's gonna be a spin off podcast about that which I, I wouldn't mind participating, but I would say uh, Peep Show. I think um Peep Show is bye 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 and I will think it is the best British comedy of all time. And the, the reason I think it's nine series, there's a tenth, it's coming back for a tenth season, I'm sure, so that's why I think it's a good time to invest in it, uh, quote-unquote, in this little game that we're playing here. And I, I think that for nine series, it, the consistency was incredibly high. It never, ever dropped. I remember thinking that the, 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 the sort of later series weren't as good, but having gone and watched them all back, that is it's just simply not the case. Um, it's incredibly funny as a show and it's you can still watch it again and again and there's still something like a, a, a random line that can have you absolutely laughing out loud um, and great performances from everyone involved obviously especially David Mitchell and Robert Webb as the, the main characters and I yeah bye 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 I think that is his greatest strength is consistency to stay we were talking that long ago about uh, American shows kicking the arse out of it and you could mm-hmm. and it's it's uncommon for a sitcom a British sitcom like that to go on that long and still be that good so I think that probably was its greatest strength and David Mitchell continues to be just a really funny guy whenever you can yeah. <laughs> I really like him yeah nah nah you go <laughs> off everybody though no 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 he's good you go off everybody no, he's good at Mark Corrigan. He's good at being Mark Corrigan. But I mean, if you watch like the Michelin Web show or that that Michelin Web look, and you seen the stuff he does in Would I Lie to you, all that full outrage and stuff, like grow up. Just be Mark Corrigan. That's all. That's you know, it's like uh, Steve Coogan being Alan Partridge. David Mitchell's just Mark Corrigan. Yeah, and it's quite funny. <laughs> well then, he's all in panel shows and stuff. I don't know. I'm not really. Um... To be fair, I don't know how much I've actually seen of stuff that he's done that's not um, Mark Corrigan. So I've seen bits of Mitchell Webb. It's not that great. Some all right stuff. 
and stuff that just usually gets passed around on social media. Uh, but I've, I don't actually think I've seen much else. So I've never watched Upstart Crow or anything. I don't even know anything else has been in. They were in back, like B-A-C-K. They're in a thing called Back. I didn't, I didn't watch that, but it was basically the pair of them and the writers from Peep Show. I think they played two brothers that came together in a funeral. I haven't seen it, but it got, uh, it got decent reviews. I haven't seen that either. Uh, Mitchell and Webb suffers from the same. Mitchell and Webb, when you say Mitchell and Webb, it's the same as any kind of... Um, it's sure, yeah, it suffers from yeah. the same. But there are, some, uh, there are some sketches in it that are brilliant. The football one's brilliant. The number wang one's all right. But again, it's one of those ones that once it's repeated, that's... Yeah. But it was a it good... shows are only good for on. one week. Yeah, or a couple, yeah. But it's just, but it's just incredible that that, that people you think. I mean, even the office, like the office, was two series and a, a special, and I think the office is perfect. But it sort of like tarnished its legacy a bit by bringing David Brent back for like comic relief and and the the, the terrible movie. Faulty Towers, Faulty Towers is amazing. Like Faulty Towers is is, is still really good. I, mean, I, I think, think, think part of the reason. Think, do you think part of the reason Faulty Towers still is uh, held in such reverence is because it didn't outstay its welcome? There's yeah, only something that, like 12 I, I, episodes of Faulty Towers. 100%, but I think that's what, what Peep Show, what, what, what is Peep Show so good at is it's been going for so long and it's still very, very funny. I think that, that's, what, that's why I'd say it's maybe not better, obviously comedy's all subjective, but I just think that to, to go that length of time and to still be very good, that's, uh, that's remarkable. Like you two. You're trying to test me here. I <laughs> said, <laughs> like you two. Right, well then, well then, fucking maybe stick up for me once in a while when I'm getting absolutely stomped on. Um, Craig Fowler, this is your game, so let's see. I, I showed you how I would do it. Tell me if I did it right. <laughs> right, I'm going, to, I'm going to buy some stock in a... Actress slash, uh, I should just say actor, actor slash rapper uh, of uh, Chinese and Korean descent, Aquafina. Uh, so for everybody who doesn't know who Aquafina is, she yeah, was... Me. <laughs> me. Do you know who she is? Do you know who she is? No, I've never heard of her, man. Who she, uh, she was the, the lead uh, character in the 2019 film The Farewell, which was a, a very good film. Uh, it's a... It's a true story, based on a true story, uh, about a Chinese family who is basically told from the perspective of a Chinese-American, uh, born in America, but our, our family's Chinese, and they basically they go back for our cousin's wedding, but it's actually a fake wedding uh, put on uh, as an excuse for the whole family to go and see their grandmother one last time because the grandmother has terminal cancer. But And what is actually not that uncommon in Chinese culture is that the family don't tell the, the grandmother that she's got terminal cancer they tell her that she's fine oh uh, I smell a sitcom yeah <laughs> well it, it is a it is a sitcom movie uh, but it is very good it's got a lot of heart in it it's not it could easily be melodramatic uh, it could also as a comedy it could easily be stupid in places it manages to avoid both those and Aquafina is, is very strong as a kind of stoic lead who's Against the whole plan, but uh, generally kind of learns to kind of appreciate that this kind of side of Chinese culture uh, throughout the kind of film. Uh, and she, so she was also in the newest Jumanji movie. She played the kind of new uh, avatar, the one that uh, was the uh, the pickpocketer. And I thought she was one of the strongest things in it. She was also, she was also had- in the Angry Birds movie too. 
Okay, I've not seen that. She was also uh, done star turns as supporting roles in Ocean's 8, which I heard is not that good. Uh, but Crazy Rich Agents, which I heard is actually pretty good. She was kind of she was kind of the breakout star of the last one uh, and the kind of character people wanted to see more from. And I've listened to some of her rap music as well, and I think it's it's kind of a mixture. It's it's also quite silly as well. It's not really kind of serious rap. It's kind of rap with like a comedy kind of edge. And I think it's it's generally quite quite poppy, quite entertaining. Uh, and yeah, I think just like to see more for us. She did. She has uh, seemed to have started a sitcom on Comedy Central called uh, like Nora from Queens, and I've seen clips of that, and that's quite rubbish. I want less of that from her and more just starring in Hollywood films. I've just googled Aquafina, and it just came up a bottle of water. I'm actually starting to suspect you've just made all that up. <laughs> uh, you spelled it wrong. It's uh, it's spelled like awkward to start with. Uh, all right, okay, and. Then, then you get the Fina at the end. Right, okay. Right, I believe you then. Cool. <laughs> Angry, Birds, Angry Birds, the movie, too, holds a consensus rating of 73% on Rotten Tomatoes, Craig. So I know that's quite important to you. <laughs> I never actually... I'm more of an IMDb guy than a Rotten Tomatoes guy. Well then, that's uh, I stand corrected, said the man in the orthopedic shoe. Craig Cairns, you have got some money. You're going to invest it in stock. What are you investing it in? Well, actually, I've got a bit of a problem. I invested in some Steve Carell stock a while back and I'm looking for some advice on what to do with it because on the one hand, I've seen him recently in The Big Short and Foxcatcher mm-hmm. and he was particularly good in Foxcatcher. But then on the other hand, I've watched um, I watched the first episode of Space Force recently and it was really bad um, and I also watched him in John Stewart's new movie, Irresistible. And it's shocking. It's one of the worst movies I've watched in a long time. And Steve Carell is terrible in it, but, but Steve Carell's terrible in it because the script is so bad. The, the jokes are just really, really poor. And it's, it's such a fall from grace for uh, John Stewart because he was such a funny guy on, uh, on The Daily Show. And I haven't seen his other movie that he's done, but I think that's like a serious movie set in the Middle East, Rosewater or something, I think it's called. Uh, but this one, he tries to do political satire and... It's just, stylistically, it's like a movie from the early 2000s or something like that. The music and even just the gags. They're like um, visual comedy. Like there's, one, there's one point where Steve Carell takes a bite of a blueberry, he's sitting in his car, takes a, a bite of a blueberry scone and he likes it so much. He's like, mm, and he takes another bite and another bite and he, he stuffed the whole thing into his mouth. And then there's a woman that looks disapprovingly at him through his car window. That's it. That that's the joke. And <laughs> just, I'm laughing already. Exactly. There's just so, there's, there's a lot of gags like that, and, um, and and there's bits where he gets angry, where he just becomes uh, Michael Scott from from the Office, and those bits are a wee bit funny. But at the same time, it kind of takes you out of the the movie mm. you're watching. So yeah, I'm not entirely sure. He seems to be picking a few very good serious roles for himself and doing well. But at the same time, this uh, Space Force, which He's written, he's co-created with uh, the guy from the US office, Daniels, some Daniels. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I'm not sure what to do. Should I, should, I, should I sell or keep my stock in Steve Carell? Show me an actor who's got a completely flawless uh, curriculum vitae. But, but you sometimes do get actors that, that reach a, a point in their career and then for whatever reason, they just start appearing in Turkey after Turkey after after Turkey. So perhaps he is reaching that uh, perhaps he's reaching that point. 
Yeah, like if you've made your money, then and you can just pick and choose the, the, the roles that you're in. If you, I mean, he's 57. It might just be the stage where, well, I don't know. I mean, I should presume that he's still a lot more petrol in the tank for someone that age. But you can just pick and choose the roles that you want to do. And if it's like you're, you're working with your mates, then then then, then why not? Have any guys seen Foxcatcher? No, I heard it's very good though. Yeah, it is. And he's, he's just unbelievably good in it. Um, he got nominated... Uh, that year, and I think it's, it was, uh, it's available on Amazon Prime. I think for free, right? Yeah, and I'm sure it was a competitive field that year as well that he that he lost out. I'm not saying he should have won or anything, but it, it's a ve- you can see why he's been nominated. It was a very very good for uh, performance. Yeah, cut angles in it, isn't he? There's are some there's cut angle worked with that um, the, the character that he played, the guy who owned Foxcatcher. I didn't see him, but uh, maybe, maybe they were. I know that Mark Ruffalo and Channing Tatum undertook a six-month intensive wrestling course, but real wrestling. <laughs> this is real wrestling. So all wrestling isn't real. Listen, 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 listen. Let's not get down the, the, the wrestling's fake. It's choreographed, but the risks are real. Right, you tell me you can fake jumping off like a, a steel cage. <laughs> Don't try this at home. It's exactly. real, God damn it. It's real trials in my boots. <laughs> I've had broken backs, shattered <laughs> kneecaps. I still got up. <laughs> uh, Sean, uh, you've got you've got a bit of money. I know how much you make for the TV show. What are you going to invest it in? Uh, well, now, I was going to well, suggest... That was quite defensive there. Sorry, I didn't mean to <laughs> talk about your income on a podcast that four people listen to. I was... Uh, so I was going to suggest that you invest in a TV series called The Boys. And the reason I was going to suggest that was because I was under the impression that the second series began uh, in July. And then I read last night that it's not actually airing until September. However, <laughs> I'm going to plow on regardless because I couldn't <laughs> think of anything else. But basically, to give us a bit of context, uh, it's uh, a show about superheroes, which, and I know like people now groan about that, even, even myself. So, so to give it a bit of context, I have always been something of a, a, a comic geek. So when I was wee, it was things like uh, Commando and Roy Rovers in 2000 AD. And then when I got a bit older, it was DC and Marvel. So in 2008, when Iron Man came out, like, that was very much going to be in my wheelhouse. However, those kind of superhero films, they're, they're all very samey now. And as much as they're not necessarily getting diminishing returns at the box office in terms of plot or excitement, they, they probably are having diminishing returns. So when I'd heard or it had been recommended, The Boys, which is on Amazon, a show about superheroes, I thought, I don't know if I like it, but I'll give it a bash. But you know, within the first two minutes of the, of the show starting, that it is not going to be your stereotypical superhero TV series. It is uh, darkly comic. It is, uh, it is quite gorily violent at points. It can be, uh, it can feature quite, I suppose, difficult plot lines. Uh, the, the, the heroes, and I suppose in inverted commas, are, are extremely, extremely horrible people by and large. And I suppose it, it, it tries to illustrate if superheroes were real, how would that work and how would people attempt to make money off them? So essentially, they are uh, kind of owned by this corporation and who attempt to make money out of them by telling them what to do, uh, essentially. And uh, 
Carol Urban plays a character who knows that they're up to no good and attempts to expose them and attempts to get his own back on them for, uh, for, for things that have happened to him in, in the past. And he, put, he puts together a, a crew to try, and, to try and stop them. It's quite a short series, so there's only eight episodes. I think they last about 50 minutes each. They generally end on a, a bit of a cliffhanger. I, I, I kind of binged it. Uh, uh, but it was, it was nothing like what I expected it to be. And it's probably the second TV series after The Watchmen recently, which is about super, superheroes, but attempts to do something completely different with a, with, a, with a format that has become quite jaded recently. So I, I would fully recommend that. Uh, Elizabeth Shue is, is very good in it. She is the, I suppose, the puppet master from the, the, the corporation that, that owns them. She is, uh, she's excellent in it. And the first time I've, I've really seen her in anything for, for a while. Uh, but no, I'd, I'd, I'd really recommend it. And, uh, but you now have plenty of time to watch the first series since Series 2 isn't until September. Excellent. So I think between us, we can make a wee bit of money. Maybe we could pull our resources and invest it in. I don't know, man. You know, I should probably start. If you're going to, if you're going to make a metaphor, think where it's going to finish before you start. Because <laughs> you end up just, you end up just sounding like a big buffoon. But anyway, those, those were, those were mere hors d'oeuvres. Those were mere moose bushes because we now come down to the the main course. The, the medium-rare fillet steak drizzled in peppercorn sauce with dolphin washed potatoes, French fries, and uh, whole grain mustard because we are going to talk about and the Oscar winner for Best Picture for 2004. It is Crash. Now, directed by Paul Haggis, this is examines a series of interconnected vignettes across 24 hours in Los Angeles and it examines race relations and the consequences of, uh, of these race relations. The alternative title for the movie was called Never Judge a Book by Its Cover, but Crash uh, was apparently more appropriate. Um, Craig Fowler, you picked this. First of all, fuck you. And two, why did you... <laughs> <laughs> uh, the reason I went for it, obviously, uh, race relations, especially in America, is quite a big talking point right now. I also recently watched it, so I was uh, keen to, uh, to know the thoughts of other people because... It's quite, it's quite derided. I thought it was perfect for this kind of discussion because yeah, it's, 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 actually, in that respect, it's a good show. It's a good show. It, it's quite a, it's quite a derided film overall. It's kind of known as one of the worst uh, best picture winners, but at the same time, it still does have fairly high rating on IMDb. So generally, it's it's quite enjoyed by the majority of people who watch it. So on IMDb, four hundred thirteen thousand votes and an average rating of seven point eight out of ten. Do you not think it would be? Do you not think it would be less hated if it hadn't won the Oscar? But because it, it was up against, I think the feeling was it broke back mountain should have won the Oscar that year. It's almost like there was a backlash against Crash because it had the temerity to to win an Oscar. I think that's part of it. But then also, I, I did watch it expecting it to think, expected to think it'd be better than its reputation, and I don't think it is. <laughs> I, 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 I've watched a lot of shite movies, but. I think this is the worst movie I've watched this year. I fucking hated this movie. <laughs> hated, 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 hated it. I thought it was cynical, deeply cynical. I thought there was there's no real depth to it. I thought every character was just a cipher for like for like a message about about racism and, and race relations. The the, the characters there, there were there were no characters in the movie. They were, they were people. They were, they were people. They were avatars. 
that, that, that here's like here. That, this is an avatar for a message about um, sort of like like black on black racism, and this is an avatar about the the police force and, and understanding what it is. And nobody ever had like a, a normal conversation in it. And there was there was a number of times where I actually just went off oh, fuck off at the at the telly. There was one bit. There were those three bits, I'll, 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 three bits that I actually burst out laughing at and was like, I actually went like, for fuck's sake. But the worst bit, the worst bit in the movie, right? The bit, it's the bit where um, Michael Pena plays a, a good-hearted locksmith who is dismissed as a gangbanger. Sandra Bullock's character dismisses him as a gangbanger. A gang is there any other kind of locksmith other than a good-hearted one? It was prison <laughs> And he pitches up, Michael Pena pitches up at this uh, this uh, Persian, not Arab, because there's a difference between Arabs and Persians, as is pointed out in the movie. Pitches up at a Persian shopkeeper's house, fixes the lock, but tells him, I fixed the lock, but your door needs changed. Your door needs replaced. So just quickly, the, the shopkeeper gets broken into. The insurance won't pay out because it's negligence, because he was told to fix his door. So the shopkeeper, in a fit of anger, goes after Michael Pena's character. And you can see him sitting in his car, waiting for Michael Pena to come home. Michael Pena's van parks up, and he gets outside, and his wee girl runs out the window, Daddy's home. And that was the bit, I was like, Fuck you! This is this is terrible. This is terrible. And then he, he gets shot. She runs out. Oh, and he's got blanks in his gun because his daughter, the the shopkeeper's daughter, knew the temper and would wave it around. So got blanks for the gun. And you're like, oh man, this sucks. This is so bad, so bad. <laughs> the bit daddy's home. That's like no, fuck off. That's it. There's a uh, yeah. There's a lot wrong with this movie. Uh, Sandra Bullock, I think, was the the character maybe wound me up the most. Uh, just so over the top racism, like through like throughout our five minutes on screen, and then at the end she falls down the stairs, and it's the Mexican housekeeper that looks after her. So then she says, "Oh, you're my best friend." <laughs> Everything was so heavy-handed. Everything (laughs) in it was so heavy-handed. Oh, man. Just about every character in it does a 180 and does something completely against what's been established up to that point. It's so... And there's so many muddled messages in it. So one of the messages is sexual predators have redeeming qualities. That was that, that that was the that that was the biggest issue I had with it. So, so the, the two things that I, I disliked about it most was so, so basically every single person in it, pretty much every word they say is either a big bit racist or a wee bit racist, or they're a big bit angry or a wee bit angry, and that's non-stop for an hour and forty-five minutes. And even I, I would presume that even racists at some point in the day stop saying something racist and, and talk about their favourite sausages or, or something, John, something that you, isn't racist. John, you ever watched the episode of Louis Theroux where he goes and meets the neo-Nazis in America? I think and so. One, one part of the episode, they go to a karaoke bar in Mexico. <laughs> it's like you're hanging out with one of the biggest neo-Nazis in America. But even, even he, even this neo-Nazi finds time to go to Mexico, get pissed up on tequila and take part in karaoke. <laughs> that was the first thing I had an issue with. The second thing was... Films generally follow rules. So if uh, if there is a big baddie in a film, he's normally killed by the the, the, the big goodie because it gives the it gives the audience some satisfaction. Or in a horror film, if somebody takes drugs or they have sex, you know they're just about to get chopped up into tiny or pieces. Or they're black. Yeah, uh, but the and 
generally when a, there's, there's a character arc, they need to have done something to, to deserve that character arc. So they need to justify the fact that they are, they need to justify the sympathy that you're now asked to, to, to have for them. And, and quite a lot of the characters, they, they didn't want that sympathy. So like Martin Dillon is a, a, a racist and he, uh, he basically sexually assaults somebody in the film. But at the end, you're asked to have sympathy for them. The, the, the shopkeeper is a, an angry man who would have killed a seven-year-old girl towards the end, but you're supposed to have sympathy for him. And then none of these people justify the sympathy that we are, that we are asked to, to have for them. And that's, I don't know, it was just a, it was just a strange film. It, it didn't follow rules and it just what, what that bit wasn't with, good. What about that bit with Matt Dillon? It's, there was another bit that I just like, fuck, for fuck's sake, it's where his, that, that you can explain, that, that's the whole thing about him, maybe you can explain why he's a racist because his dad isn't getting the, the correct level of healthcare. But when he goes in to see the administrator, uh, for to, to get his dad's healthcare, and he starts saying that I, I, I could have been you, or it could have been one of the 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 six or seven more qualified white men that you got the job ahead. You're just like shut the fuck up. It's just so that that's thing. I mean, we've talking about movies, for instance, uh, Ladybird. We did we did that, and we talk about how well written it is and how things are really just subtly hinted at. This was so badly written. Just yeah. so, so badly written, such a badly written movie, uh, and that's uh, the Academy Award. I mean, what was up against Brokeback Mountain, wasn't it? The, yeah, yeah. Brokeback Mountain was a sort of the more popular choice. But like Roger Ebert, a, a film critic who I, I really, really admire and who, who's writing a love, he 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 said it's. I, it. I read that. Yeah, best movie of two thousand and four, and it's. I'm trying to like actually see something that I I, I liked about it. And I honestly can't think of anything. You had Fandy Newton's husband. Uh, forgive me, I don't know the, the, the actor's name. Terence Howard. Terence Howard, thank you. Terence Howard is, their car's pulled over. Uh, Matt Dillon effectively sexually assaults his wife. And then he's a, a, a film director. And one of the guys, a producer for, for the TV show, is, is saying to him that you need your, the character has to be more black. That's what, that's what the way he's talking isn't how, People expect a black person to talk. So then when he gets pulled over, he's in his car, he gets carjacked, and then he gets pulled over by the police. Then he starts behaving like what a black person's supposed to behave. But I think that's the most ridiculous scene in the whole thing. Carjacking up to the point where Ryan Philippe steps in, it's again, it, it just doesn't make any sense. He oh, would be shot dead at several points during that in, in a real-life situation. That guy would not have been alive. See the bit where Ryan Philippe, there's a bit where, where, where Ryan Philippe plays Matt Dillon's uh, partner and the bit where uh, he's got his reservations, Ryan Philippe's got his reservations of how those people were treated and when, when Matt Dillon says something to him like, you know, give it a couple of years on the job, then you'll understand and you're like, hmm, I wonder what happens to him later on in the movie. <laughs> you know, where this sort of like idealised rookie police officer comes into a bit of conflict and it's like, fuck me, you can see that coming a thousand miles off. You know that he's going to get involved with uh, with someone and, and even 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 that part of the film was ridiculous as well because the 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 reason that 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 escalates from so I think it's Lawrence Tate is the guy that he picks up who's Peter, yeah. Ludacris's uh, kind of criminal friend I suppose Lorenz uh, Lorenz Tate Lorenz Tate so he he gets picked up and it's he, he, he laughs because there's the I think there's like the the kind of religious symbol is on Ryan Philippe's dashboard. Yeah, and uh, Lorenz Tate's oh, yeah. character has the same uh, the, the same thing in his pocket, so he laughs. So then, but then a, a kind of argument ensues, 
And Ryan Philippe's character thinks that he has a gun in his pocket. So he goes, I'll show you what's in my pocket. No, just say to Ryan Philippe, oh, I've got that in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I, it's about, why, would you, why would you pick him up in the first place? Tone changes. Why would he pick him up? Why was the guy's hitchhiking? Why would he pick him up? And it's just plot convenience. It's just, just convenience that, that, that for, for, for him to be picked up. Well, LA is such a small town that there's, uh, these guys are going to bump into each other several times a day, aren't they? Um, the dialogue, I want to go back to the dialogue because there's a couple instances of the dialogue I think we have to pick up. The opening monologue from Don Chiaro, he when he talks about nobody, nobody gets physical contact living in cities anymore, so they crash their cars into each other to feel that. He should have looked straight into the camera. I he said, perhaps if we crash into each other, you know, he should have <laughs> that instead. And then there's points where Ludacris and Lorenz take, and it's like they think they're in like a Richard Linklater movie or something like that, but except the, the dialogue is just oh. by a teenager or something. He's going on about the only reason buses have big windows is to shame the ethnic minorities on them. The bus that drives behind them at that point has got tinted windows. <laughs> <laughs> see, at that point, Craig, see, at that point, did you think at some point one of the characters might be on a bus later on in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's one of the most ridiculous characters as well, Ludacris, because he's just, he's like Matt Dillon's character. Like you were saying, Matt Dillon's character at no point would uh, go to Mexico and uh, have tequila in a Mexican karaoke <laughs> bar. Uh, and like Ludacris's character is the same. He's just got one note. He's just angry about white people the entire time. He does nothing else. No other point. He has no other means of conversation. It's just angry about, even when they're about to, to carjack a couple of white people, he's still going on and on and on about how unfair uh, and racist America is towards black people. The only bit that I thought was quite interesting, and I actually think that might have, it reminded me a bit of The Wire, and I, I, I'm explain, I'll let me explain what I mean from getting crashed to The Wire, but it's a bit where, where Brandon Fraser's character, who was perhaps the most interesting person, he played the DA, it was him, he's Sandra Bullock's husband, his car gets carjacked, and then there's the whole issue about whether or not he can talk about it because of how it'll look politically to have the fact that the DA's carjack was carjacked by, by uh, uh, black perpetrators. And I thought in itself, that's quite interesting. That's quite like the wire. You're bringing in the, the sort of political machinations behind that. But that's passed over. I know the movie's only really set over 24 hours, so there's not enough time to, to, to really explore that. But I thought, well, that, 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 that's quite interesting. And then it sort of picks it up in... And, and, and drops the drops it very quickly. Good to see, though. I suppose we say good to see he's still working. That was two thousand and four. Don't know what uh, Brandon Fraser's doing with himself these days. The thing is, though, I never felt at any point that the movie dragged. For all these criticisms, I never felt like the movie was that's, dragging for some fair. reason. That's fair. I don't know, and I don't know why. Um, but yet, and another thing somebody mentioned earlier was a lack so of. Okay, it won it won it won three Academy Awards, and, and as well as Best Picture, one of them was for Best Editing. So I don't know if that had something to do with it, sort of like the propulsiveness to keep it. Right, uh, yeah, yeah. And the only, the only actor to be nominated was a white man, which is quite funny. It was Matt Dillon who was nominated, eh? Matt Dillon, yeah. I, I, I don't know. And, uh, what? Um, and then uh, he's just like, is he? No, he's not the only white man, but he's in an obviously diverse cast. And then you fast forward 16 years and we've just had another kind of Oscars controversy about a dearth of non-white nominees and... Same year we're having race riots. So, what do you think? Would you have put the the, the, the TV director up for, for best actor after that monologue in front of the police officers? I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure you would <laughs> go with anybody from the movie, but um, even talking about it winning, how is it even nominated for Best Picture? I mean, I, I, I just don't get it. And actually, to pick up earlier, Craig, um, it was actually 2006 that won the Oscar. It was, it was, uh, it was it, released um, to some festivals or something, I think, in 2004. It got its official kind of commercial release in 2005 and then was nominated 2006. It was a strange um, kind of outlier of uh, Oscar winners that was released very early in the kind of, because it only yeah. missed the previous year by about three weeks or something. You know, and as well, the bit, see the bit at the end, it finishes with um, like Ludacris' characters, uh, the whole bit about, really a weird bit at the end, where they've got a, a van load of it's Cambodian, um, Cambodian people in a van. Maybe just up on the street. Aye, but then it finishes with, it finishes with another, basically the film starts how it ends, with a... Uh, people arguing a bit over after a car accident and people arguing it's sort of racially heated and maybe tomorrow by the stereophonics plays in the background you think hey listen guys maybe if we pull together we might just we might just get there I'm looking at uh, oh sorry I'm, on you go Sean I'm, no I'm just going to say I'm looking at what else it was up against for best picture so it was Crash Capote Munich Brokeback Mountain and Goodnight and Good Luck so the, the worst film in that list by about a hundred miles yeah. I've not seen all of them. I've seen Good Night and Good Luck. Uh, that was pretty good. Certainly better than this. You know what we should have watched instead? We should have watched Crash, the David Cronenberg movie from 1996. <laughs> or Magnolia. Do you think this was trying to be no, Magnolia? Fuck, that's actually a good point, Craig. I've got that written down in my notes uh, because Magnolia is, the, well, it's the similar sort of premise where it's all these interconnected stories. Um, like, just much better. In Los Angeles. At least, at least Magnolia has the good grace right at the start to set up like, hey, crazy things can happen. You know, like, like the idea that all these interconnected stories, uh, these, these can happen, whereas this is just, this is just this crap. Even just before the stereophonic song that you're talking about, they have the kind of montage and it's even, it's even like a poor woman's Amy Mann song that's playing. Yeah, Summing up, but it's, uh, percent, so that's a very good observation. Yeah, all the sort of characters like sort of sitting like you can see them through windows, sort of close-ups on their faces. It's very like the 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 wise up scene from yep. from Magnolia. But those are, I think, those are the only comparisons. Ensemble cast set in Los Angeles over a short space of time. Those are the only real comparisons. You don't want to compare Magnolia to Crash. Yeah, it's the worst thing Paul Haggis has done since Walker Texas Ranger. Something that come up with that as well. I don't know much about Paul Haggis, just other than it's a. Uh, well, I think the first film he wrote was Million Dollar Baby, which won an Oscar. Then this, and he won an Oscar. So he had a... He, had he a won the Oscar two years in a row. So, says, I'm pretty sure he won the Oscar two years in a row. Oh, here's a... Paul Haggis is one of the people uh, central to the Me Too movement. On 5th of January 2018, Haggis was accused of sexual misconduct, including multiple rapes. Jesus. Oh, he's also a Scientologist. <laughs> So that was I. That was why uh, Matt Dillon's character just got that redemption. There, he didn't think he'd done anything wrong. <laughs> he was a Scientologist. Scientology be quite interesting, actually. I, I quite like that. I not the Church of Scientology, but but uh, Scientology its, itself. The the sort of the, the idea of processing and all that. I think that's quite interesting. They, they were also responsible for one of for one of the worst films ever. Battlefield Earth. Terrible. It's a good laugh, though. <laughs> 
<laughs> Is there anything else to, to, to say about Crash? Sandra Bullock's trip. Oh fucking hell, rubbish! Off the—that's the weird thing. Off the the pristinely polished. Floor. She spends all that time complaining about the stuff not being done to the high standards, and the floor is polished too well. Just the way it's done. The way it goes slow motion and stuff. It's so weird. There was there was a quite a lot of slow motion in it. In fact, at points as well. And I just any time I see slow motion, I just keep thinking of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, where there's like they're doing the they've got an episode. They said I, a lot of the episodes were coming in eight minutes short. So when we did had that problem, we just made everything slow motion because <laughs> it stretched out the episodes. <laughs> oh man! No, I would say Fowler. Uh, I said fuck you at the start. I stand by that because this was a uh, this is not a great movie, but I do think it's it's certainly something worth talking about. I like the score. I thought the score was generally all right. I thought some the 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 incidental music was quite good, but other than that, it's. It warps my head that that won that won an Oscar, given how how badly written. Seven point eight out of ten as well. It's got to be. It's probably number one on the list of highly rated movies on IMDb that's actually shit. I think it must be a thick person's idea of what a a, a intellectual exploration into to race is. It seems to think that uh, yeah, by being complicated, yeah, it's it's kind of being clever. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not. It's that, not aye, no, as Craig said, the only really redeeming thing about it is that it's not really boring at any point. It goes along quite quickly. I guess you could say some of the drama scenes, if, they, if you take out most of the scenes and put them in a different movie, you would say that's a decent scene. <laughs> so it's got, it's got maybe that going for it. It's maybe the, the scenes themselves are kind of well shot and have a certain amount of tension to them. Uh, but it's just the fact that you're just annoyed the entire time because they're wrapped up in this uh, completely clumsy uh, movie with no nuance whatsoever. What about that bit at the start where the, where the lassie's trying to buy a gun for her father and the shopkeeper's just like, you can't speak English, this is America. You know, we speak English in America. Like, right, up the road, you. That's, uh, that's plenty. Uh, yeah, but there was just no subtlety at one point. There's one point when there's a lassie that... Um, answers the phone. That's the only scene she's in. She's answered the phone and she's pregnant. She's got like dreadlocks and piercings and stuff uh, and she's smoking. And I think she's thumbing her tummy to show, in case you missed it, I'm pregnant <laughs> while I'm smoking here. It was just like full of that kind of stuff. And I'd, I'd, I'd actually forgotten about that scene where the, the shopkeeper spends 60 seconds being disgracefully racist to a girl's dad, but she still gives him a hundred dollars for the gun or whatever. You can walk at the shop. I'm going to give you my money anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure you can find other gun stores in LA. Aye, aye, there's definitely more than one. And even the crash, even the, the fact that it's called crash and they say like people crash into each other and stuff, there is like literally like about four or five car crashes during the entire film as well. Yeah, at least, at least the David Cronenberg movie was honest. That was about crashes. There was loads of crashes in that movie. But also all linked. They're also like one or two steps away from each other, each crash like, the movie. It's like, it's like the woman who sued Drive because there wasn't enough driving in it. <laughs> you know, it's like... You, at, least, at, least, human. at least in the David Cronenberg one, you're getting... Am I getting crashes? Yes, lots of them. <laughs> Ideal. Fucking hell. The whole thing's a car crash. No, well, there we go. What a perfect way to, to, to wrap things up on. Now, we've decided after last week's podcast clocked in at a... Whatever, 45 minutes. 100 minutes. 
we decided just we're going to wrap these podcasts up because they're they're great fun, but my goodness, they they, they go on about it. So I think this is probably a perfect way to, to finish it with Craig Cairns saying it's a car crash. So uh, I'd like to thank all three Craigs for, for joining me today and to Sean McGuigan as well. Cheers. Cheers. Please, Thank you. Pl- yep. Please subscribe <laughs> to, to this on, on Facebook and, and Twitter and, uh, and and do listen. It was a very good podcast put out earlier in the week. Uh, credit goes to, to, to Craig Fowler. Um, that, that his back is red raw with all the slaps that it's been getting. <laughs> uh, it really is an excellent piece of work about and interestingly ties it. I, I don't want to tie it in with Crash. That's... <laughs> <laughs> That's that's actually not fair, no. But it's an excellent, truly, truly excellent podcast about um, the racism in Scottish football and, and sort of Scotland starring some of the most prominent uh, black faces in, in, in Scottish football. So would thoroughly recommend it. And I would thoroughly recommend hanging out with these three guys because it's uh, great fun as always. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.